Good morning. Turn to the person next to you, in front of you, and tell them good morning. How are you? In front of you. Let us all stand as we begin this morning, our morning family chapel and worship. Our theme throughout the year has been come follow me. And that is our prayer this morning. In response to our God to say we will follow him. We will give him all our worship for he is worthy of our worship. This first song is a prayer. And it says I will I will worship with all my heart, with all my strength. All of my days I will follow you and I will trust in you. I'm going to need your help um, in the verse. There's an echo to it, so you know, I'm pretty sure you, you're familiar with this song. Let us sing. Remain standing as we let us pray. Yeah, let's pray. It is the prayer of, that is the prayer of our hearts this morning, Father. All captured in the word with three letters, all. So everything we are, we give to you. Everything we're, we're concerned about, we give to you. We just give it to you. And we're grateful because we, um, we know that you'll receive it. We know that you'll accept it. We know that you'll redeem it and transform it and transform us in the process. Thanks so much for all you do in us and for us and through us. Thank you, too, for the opportunity to respond. We give you praise. We give you us. In the name of the one who makes it possible, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I figured that since you're not coming to me, I'm coming to you. We had, um, Fike was in chapel last night, husband and wife, right? Uh, and um, so there are extra chairs, and so of course, extra chairs have to be filled first, correct? All right, so, so I'll come to you. All right, so um, I, I, want us to spend the, I want us to spend the morning uh, thinking about this question. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Okay, so that's, so that's where we're going. The theme for the chapel services has been, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And so the disciples did. They went, and he made them fishers of men. So this topic of following Jesus is, is one that has been our theme. It is, um, it is something that I think we talk about as Christians on a fairly regular basis. What does it mean to be a believer, and how does that shape my life, and and the kinds of things that I, that I do for a living. What does it mean? Um, back in uh, 2007, A.J. Jacobs wrote this book, The Year of Living Biblically, One Man's Humble Quest to Follow the Bible as Literally as Possible. Anybody familiar with the book? Seen the, seen the front page of it, at least, anyway? So, so here's the notion. Jacobs, Jacobs non-believer, agnostic, wanted to try to figure out what it meant to live biblically for a whole year. So, 
So this is, so this is what it looked like for him. So he went through all of the rules and the scriptures, and he tried to adhere to as many as he could. Um, he, he did, it, it does say someplace that he tried to stone an adulterer, but that didn't work very well. Seriously. So, so he goes through this whole thing through the year to try to figure out what it means to live biblically. And he said at the end of his, at the end of his experience, at the end of his year, he says, I, I'm still an agnostic, uh, but now I'm a reverent agnostic. He says, I, I, I now believe that whether there's a God or not, there is such a thing as sacredness. Life is sacred, the Sabbath can be sacred, prayer can be a sacred ritual. There is something transcendent beyond the everyday. It's possible that humans created the sacredness, maybe, but that doesn't take away from its power or importance. So after a year of trying to adhere, this is the conclusion that A.J. Jacobs came to. And I think you already know that that's probably not what Jesus had in mind. That's not the conclusion that he would have come to or expected of his disciples when he said to them, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Well, a couple years ago, 2011, 2012, Rachel Evans decided to do a similar kind of thing. And so a book resulted. The title of her book is A Year of Biblical Womanhood, How a Liberated Woman Found Herself Sitting on Her Roof covering her head and calling her husband master. It's, there's so many straight lines there, but I just, we'll just leave, we'll just let them. Jacobs began as an agnostic. Rachel Evans was an evangelical Christian when she started, and, and she still is. Still is a woman of faith. She summarized her experience and, her, and the impact on her look this way. So at least symbolically the blood of Eve courses through each of her daughter's veins. We are each associated with life, each subject to the impossible expectations and cruel projections of men, each fallen, blamed, misunderstood, and each stubbornly vital to the process of bringing something new, perhaps something better into the world. We are each an Eve. A little closer? A little closer maybe to what Jesus had in mind? Maybe. I do think he had in mind, I do think he had in mind more than just a wooden adherence to a set of rules, to a list of do's and don'ts. You see, if we're going to be technical, and if we're going to be literal, if we follow examples of A.J. Jacobs and Rachel Evans, then all of us in this room will have to go to the Big, Big Bass Pro Shop up just off of I-25 and buy ourselves some fishing nets. Right? Right? Because when the first disciples responded to Jesus' call, come follow me, they did what with their nets? They left their nets. Right? But you can't leave nets if you don't have a net, so you've got to buy a net in order to leave a net so you can follow, right? What does it mean to follow Jesus? 
Does it include leaving fishing nets and boats behind? For, for some people, maybe so. But you know, I know that it means so much more than that, and so that's where I want us to look. About 30 years after Jesus first said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, there were some Christians who were dealing with the challenges that come with following Christ. They were, they were dealing with external pressures, political hostility, religious oppression, cultural oppression. They were going upstream against the culture. The politics were not on their side, and the religious leaders were sure that they were heretics and one of them and one of them gone. That's just the outside stuff. And then on the inside, they were, they were concerned about, they were disappointed with fellow Christians who weren't quite measuring up to what their expectations were. They weren't sure which of the Christians had the truth, and so, so they wind up in all of these different little conversation groups about those folks. And then there's the day-to-day pressure that comes with living in a fallen world. And that's just to name a few. So these Christians, just 30 years out from the original invitation, are having to decide whether or not the Christ they decided to follow was the person they should be following. Because it was tough. Because it was difficult. And it was not really what they signed up for. So the writer to... The, epistle, the writer of the Epistle to the Hebrews spends a long time in the front part of the book reminding those Christians of who Jesus is. He compares them to saints along the way and says, well, those, those guys were good, but Jesus is even better. And this system was good, but Jesus supersedes it. Then he goes on to remind them of people, their spiritual ancestors, who had invested their lives and and had invested their lives literally in what it took to follow Christ. And he did, and he does so to give them a little bit of a reality check because sometimes we get the poor me's, and we need the reminder. Uh, Sometimes we need the reminder because our situation is as dire as those. And they made it so we can too. So he encourages them in the face of opposition. And then, and then, in chapter 12, I think he echoes Jesus' first call to those disciples because he challenges Christians who are either hearing this letter read to them, which I think is just an early forerunner of of video preaching, that's another topic they're either hearing this letter read to them or they're reading this letter for the first time and they hear an echo they hear an echo of what Jesus of the Jesus they responded to first time out when when they said yes to him well he put it this way therefore Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand 
of the throne of God. The word of the Lord. I want us to go back to the first verse, and we're going to spend our time there. So the stage is set. The call has gone out. The invitation's been issued. All the runners have to do is run, right? All the followers have to do is follow, correct? That's all. Except, in the same way that the fishermen had to leave their nets, the early Christians have to, let me just, let me just isolate that. The early Christians have to lay aside encumbrances. Anybody know, when's the last time you used the word encumbrance? I was thinking about that this morning. Oh yes, encumbrance, encumbrance. Yes, it's a familiar part of my everyday language. You know what it means, right? It means something that's in the way. Okay. So, so in order for them to follow, in order for them to run, they have to lay aside every encumbrance and sins that so easily entangle. That's the phrase. Hadn't they done so already? He's he's writing, he, maybe she, somebody's writing to these Hebrew, these Christians, these, these folks who have already made the decision. Hadn't they made that decision already? It's not a trick question. Hadn't they? But he says you still have to do this in order to follow. There's, there's still this thing that you have to take care of and if, if you're going to run the race, if you're going to make it from where you are to where Christ wants you to be. See, the implication here is that there's an initial yes and there's an ongoing yes. Yes? Yes? Yeah. There's an initial yes and there's an ongoing yes. There's the yes we proclaim when we, Je- when we hear Jesus call on our lives for the very first time, or at least when we finally say yes to him, because some of us heard him a lot before we said yes. And then there's this ongoing yes. Hopefully, and and even um, J.C. included it in his prayer earlier this morning. Hopefully yesterday, when Jesus said to us, I need you to come this way, we said, okay. And today, someplace along the line, when he has said, this is the direction I want you to go today, we said, okay. And tomorrow, when he calls us to go in a particular direction, we'll say, all right. But in order to do that, we might have to lay aside an encumbrance to get from where we are to where he wants us to be. We might even have to set aside a sin that is entangling us to get from where we are to where he wants us to be. So that's what I want us to talk about just for a minute. What, what, this is not a rhetorical question, I need an answer, or some answers. What could be an encumbrance to following Christ? Say again? Self, Self? okay. Family? Job? Busyness. 
Money. That's a start. Anything else? Say again. Pleasure. Okay. Fear. Hobby. Yeah, I know people who are married to softball. Yeah. Yeah. Religion. Okay. All right, so all right, so that's a good that's a good start on our list of encumbrances. What about entangling sins? What could those be? Say again. Wherever you're most you're most vulnerable, okay. Addictions. Prayerlessness. You can tell by our answers that we've been following a while. So we could create a whole long list of encumbrances, especially because we'd want to use that word. We could create a whole long list of entangling sins. But if we're not careful, we can wind up like A.J. Jacobs and Rachel Evans and have more than just bad hair days. We could wind up with these to-do lists that we equate with following Christ and maybe not even wind up following him at all. We just took care of the list. Wooden adherence to rules and regulations. When When I was in junior high, um, I had the, Mr. Mandalozo for a science teacher, and we would, when we misbehaved as a class, have to write, I will not infract upon the rules and regulations established by Mr. Mandalozo to maintain and conduct an orderly classroom situation. 25 times. <clears throat> I, I wrote it more than once. <laughs> but but that's, the, that's the notion here. That's the, that's the notion here in our... In our humanity and in our need for order, we want to reduce it down to these things. And so as long as we do the things, then we're okay. But really, how do we define, how do we get around this, these, these two categories, in, in, uh, encumbrances and, and this entangling sin? Um, I'm going to suggest this quote from Susanna Wesley. If you've been around the church while, well, maybe you've heard it. I found it first in the back of the manual. I went looking for it, and I haven't found it lately. Okay, so she was having this conversation with her son, and this was her, this was her response. How do you describe an encumbrance? What are, the, what are these entangling sins? And so she said, take this rule. Whatever weakens your reason, whatever impairs the tenderness of your conscience, whatever obscures your sense of God or takes off your relish of spiritual things. In short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may be in itself. 
So let's just soak that in for a minute. Let's go back. Take this rule. Whatever weakens our reason, whatever impairs the tenderness of our consciences, whatever obscures your sense of our sense of God and takes off our relish of spiritual things, in short, whatever increases the strength and authority of our bodies over our minds, that thing is sin to us. However innocent it may be in and of itself. So when the writer to the Hebrews is talking to folks like us who have been followers of Christ for a while, he knew that the he knew he knew that the obvious encumbrances, he knew that the obvious sins weren't the problem. It's anything here. It's the whatevers. Whatever takes the place that belongs to God. Whatever gets in the way of our following completely. That's the answer to our question. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means removing whatever it is that gets in our way of keeping in step with Him day by day. It means setting aside whatever it is that we'd prefer to focus on if it shifts our focus away from Him. It means saying yes to every invitation and fulfilling the invitation. Every day. Sometimes every hour. It means being willing to abandon it all. For the sake of his call. Stephen Kirsch Chapman did this song a few years back, and I want us to use it as part of our response time to, um, to this whatever. So let's pray. Father, most of us in this room um, know everything that we talked about this morning. So um, I ask that first. As you have been uh, talking to us, you'll con continue to help us to respond. And that you will help us in our attempts to qualify the whatevers. Speak to us clearly. Speak to us directly. Because whatever means whatever. Regardless of our rationalization, regardless of our justification, whatever means whatever. And at the core, the most important thing in our life is staying in step with you, is following you. 
and help us to do whatever it is that we need to do to make that so. You've done everything that's necessary already. Help us to embrace it. We pray it in the one who uh, set the pace, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who goes before, the one who walks aside, the one who is in us and through us. The one who said, come follow. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen? Amen. Okay, we're dismissed.